The Crimopedia podcast is a completely independent show that explores content of a potentially violent and disturbing nature. Please use your listening discretion. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. Before we begin, I want to make it clear that today's episode is an especially difficult one to talk about, and frankly, to even listen to. The story of Amanda Todd involves details and descriptions of suicide, self-harm, violent bullying, and horrifying pedophilia. I know that I just started adding a disclaimer to the beginning of the show, but for this case, it just doesn't cut it. Please use your listening discretion, and if any of the aforementioned topics are out of your scope of comfort, please feel free to exit now. I've got plenty more episodes for you to enjoy. Amanda Michelle Todd was born on November 27, 1996, in the beautiful Canadian province of British Columbia. Her parents were Carol and Norm Todd, who would eventually separate, and they would end up exchanging supervision over Amanda throughout the course of her unfortunately short lifetime. According to the people that knew Amanda personally, She had a big heart, always, and her tenderness would always shine through no matter what was going on in her personal life. She was kind, she was gentle, and she is very much missed by the people who loved her. Amanda Todd was bright, strong, and unique. She was compassionate and sweet. When she was growing up, social media was kind of growing up too. It was practically growing as fast as she was in the early 2000s. Amanda Todd would grow up in parallel or in tandem with the age of the internet, and she embraced it. Amanda was always online, on Facebook in particular, like we all were, and had over 1,200 friends on there, I'm assuming many of which she didn't actually know. She, like myself in her preteens, would regularly post status updates on Facebook with who's going to the mall today with several colons and apostrophes that were characters for emojis before emojis even existed. She was a normal teenager who would happen to fall into the depths of the wrong side of the internet. Amanda's story is a harrowing one to tell, And you'll know this even if you know just surface-level details about what happened to her. But I think she tells her own story the best. On September 7th of 2012, when Amanda was only 15 years old, she would upload a 9-minute video on YouTube titled, My Story, Struggling, Bullying, Suicide, Self-Harm. Shortly after Amanda's death, The video would go viral, receiving over 1.5 million views in just three days after she passed. As of the day I wrote this episode, on August 17th, 2022, it has almost 15 million views. In the video, which I'm sure many of you have seen or heard of, Amanda is seen holding a deck of flashcards that she's written on, telling the world her story of blackmail, harassment, bullying, depression, and suicidal thoughts. It's not very difficult to find, but I'll link it on my website at crimopediapod.ca. But fair warning, there are descriptions and even images of self-harm that do not come with a trigger warning. 
However, again, despite how shocking it may be, through the lens of this video, I can tell you Amanda's story. Amanda's video begins with a shot of 15-year-old her in a black and white filter with ballads by Jimmy Eat World and Sia playing in the background. She's sitting in front of a computer, presumably a webcam on a laptop that she had, holding a deck of flashcards. On the cards that she holds up in sequential order, she writes of how in the seventh grade, which would have been 2009-2010, she moved in with her father, Norm. We can only assume that the separation of her parents must have been difficult for Amanda, and that likely she used the internet to escape, like so many of us did as it became available. Amanda said that she began to use video chat websites, sort of like Blog TV or Omegle, and she would use these to meet and talk with strangers online. In the video, Amanda says that she was repeatedly called beautiful, perfect, and stunning by these strangers. She then talks about how a certain stranger online was quite actually interested in talking to her. He was very persistent and said a lot of nice things about her, and it didn't take long before this person, a man much older than she was, started asking for Amanda to show her breasts and flash him. Eventually, given all the attention she was receiving, she did. Amanda flashed her breasts over webcam for this internet stranger. Amanda stripped on video chat for this person who was incessantly persistent, asking her to do so. But without her knowledge or consent, this man would take screen captures of the frames and save photos of her underaged, naked body to his laptop. If this isn't sickening enough, their connection didn't end here. This internet stranger would begin to blackmail Amanda, telling her that he screen captured images of her naked body and that he would show her friends and family these photos unless she, quote, gave him a show. In the video, she continues by writing that during the Christmas holidays of 2010, she received a knock at the front door of her dad's house with police officers on the other side. She then goes on to tell how police were there to inform her that her nude images were being circulated around the internet. Amanda writes that she panicked, which eventually would develop into a panic disorder. She began living with crippling anxiety, not knowing who around her had seen her naked body, and eventually she fell into a depression. Amanda would move schools after being inevitably bullied by harsh kids who had seen her photos. Amanda began using drugs and alcohol in secret to cope with her situation. And as time went on, her anxiety got worse instead of better, even though this blackmailer seemed to have left her alone, but it didn't last forever. A year later, after seemingly taking a hiatus and leaving Amanda to continue enduring public shaming by peers, her blackmailer reappeared. In her video, she talks about a Facebook profile under the name Austin Collins, and how it appeared randomly and was accruing a growing friends list full of people that Amanda Todd attended her new school with. Whoever this was, they were certainly establishing a connection with everybody that Amanda knew. But by the time she knew this Facebook profile existed, in the video Amanda says that the profile picture that was being used was a still frame image of her nude body. And this person was not only adding her peers as Facebook friends, but was messaging them too. And of course, the bullying she tried so desperately to escape at her last school continued, and then Amanda would change schools again. 
Then, Amanda Todd goes on to describe a time when, in the midst of dealing with harassment, bullying, and blackmail, an old friend reached out to her. This friend invited her to his home to continue catching up after talking for hours while his girlfriend was on vacation. Amanda, against admittedly her better judgment, and likely due to a desperate need for acceptance from someone, ended up having sex with this person. In the video, she says, quote, I thought he liked me. She goes on to describe how at school, a group of teenagers, including this old friend and his girlfriend, would confront her before surrounding her and shouting at her. The girlfriend of this male friend had apparently found out that Amanda went over to his house and slept with him. And the way she wanted to deal with it, as unfortunately a lot of teenagers in high school do, was to get up in Amanda's face. After Amanda had been yelled at and threatened for a few minutes, she hears from the crowd, quote, just punch her already. In Amanda's video, she writes, quote, so she did. And Amanda Todd was beaten and left in a ditch where her father, Norm Todd, would later find her. Amanda goes on to write that she would attempt suicide for the first time after this encounter by drinking bleach. She survived, but only after being rushed to the hospital and having her stomach pumped. She writes, quote, It killed me that I thought I was actually going to die. When Amanda was discharged from hospital, she arrived home to hateful messages on her Facebook regarding her suicide attempt. People who disliked Amanda were saying that she deserved it. They were saying, I hope she's dead. She should try a different bleach, maybe it would work better. I hope she sees this and actually kills herself. After this ordeal, in March of 2012, Amanda Todd would move further away from the Vancouver, British Columbia metropolitan area and into a place called Port Coquitlam. Amanda enrolled in CABE Secondary School in Coquitlam, an alternative education school for students who have struggled with mental health as well as social and behavioral issues. This was yet another attempt for Amanda at starting over, trying to escape the bullying she was enduring, trying to escape the harassment she received in person from her peers, but also online from her blackmailer, and seemingly everywhere she went. But again, even if she was far away from the people who beat her and bullied her, there was still a man watching from behind a computer screen, waiting to further harass and blackmail Amanda, using the original images he took in secret while she flashed her breasts. Amanda's mom, Carol, was quoted as saying, Every time she moved schools, he would go undercover and become a Facebook friend. He went online to the kids who went to school with her, and said he was going to be a new student, that he was starting school the following week and wanted to make new friends. He eventually gathered people's names and then would send out her photos. And sending out these still images of naked Amanda from two years prior was not exclusive to Amanda's peers at school. This blackmailer was sending them out to the parents of students and teachers as well, all because Amanda didn't want to give him another show. Before long, the bullying and harassment that Amanda had moved twice to try and escape had followed her, and the abuse continued. 
In her video, Amanda writes that at this time she began to self-harm. She wrote how, despite attending therapy at this time after her suicide attempt and taking prescribed antidepressants, that things were so horrible for her that she would attempt suicide a second time. She would overdose and was hospitalized for two days. When Amanda returned back to school after this hospitalization, the people who wanted to hurt her felt like they had more fuel for their fire. They bullied her for her stay at the hospital, calling her psycho, telling her that she had been in the quote-unquote crazy hospital. People were posting memes all over Facebook of bleach and ditches, cold-hearted callbacks to the pain she experienced at her previous school. Somehow, these kids had found out about all of that stuff too, even though she had moved. This is because Amanda's harassment was everywhere. She couldn't escape it, no matter how hard she tried. In her video, she writes that after recovering from this second attempt, quote, I was doing better, too. Carol Todd, Amanda's mom, recalls being dumbfounded about how nasty kids were to her daughter. And at the end of the video, Amanda pleads through flashcards, quote, I left your guys' city. Why follow me? I cry every day. Every day, I think, why am I still here? My anxiety is horrible now. I never even went out this summer. All from my past. Life is never getting better. I can't go to school, meet, or be with people. I'm constantly self-harming. I'm really depressed. I'm stuck. What's left for me now? Nothing stops. I have nobody. I need someone. On October 10th of 2012, around 6 p.m., Amanda Todd was found hanging in her home in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. At the time of her death, Amanda was only 15 years old and was in the 10th grade at CABE Secondary School. Amanda's death was ruled a suicide by the British Columbia Coroner Service, and the cause of her death was always reported as hanging, but the exact details of her passing were never formally released through any sort of report. But according to the coroner, Barb McClintock, it was evident pretty early that Amanda had killed herself. When people got wind that Amanda Todd had died by suicide, the story garnered massive amounts of international media attention. Even I remember, all the way across the country, personally hearing about Amanda's story and then watching her YouTube video shortly after she died, and this is the same experience that many others had. In 2012, even though she died in October at the end of the year, she was still the third most Googled person in the entire world. And it didn't take very long before people researching her story found out that she had been bullied relentlessly but others knew more intimately how she had been blackmailed online, which is how all of this started for Amanda. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, quickly utilized the public exposure in Amanda's case to appeal to the public for tips about what happened to her leading up to her death. And within 24 hours of this public appeal, the RCMP received over 400 tips to analyze. On October 19th of 2012, only nine days after Amanda's death, a series of vigils were held across Canada and even internationally to remember Amanda as well as the truly countless other victims of bullying that exist. By 2013, vigils for Amanda Todd had been held in over 38 countries, 
and many school boards across Canada would try to take things a step further, honoring a minute of silence for Amanda in their hallways and assemblies. But despite how outwardly tragic Amanda's death was, the controversy around her case was still rampant. Many people did, and frankly still do, think that every ounce of bullying Amanda experienced was justified. To this day, Amanda is slut-shamed online by users on Reddit, and her actions are heavily criticized, despite her being only 15. Because of this criticism, when her mom, Carol, wanted to attend the 2012 We Day events in Vancouver, a conference that had actually already selected the topic of anti-bullying to center the events around, she was initially denied entry. The reasoning was that her appearance at We Day might upset some others in attendance, given the controversy surrounding her daughter's suicide, but she would still be allowed to sit in to other events. On We Day of 2012, celebrities like Demi Lovato and Magic Johnson addressed bullying in the absence of Carol Todd, who had just witnessed the true consequences of how bad it can really be. Thankfully, since Amanda's death, action against bullying has been taken in other ways, and it's been taken by people who choose to honor her. Before Amanda died, online bullying and harassment were known forms of bullying, and the Canadian legislation trying to regulate it back then was pretty lackluster. An example of this is that Amanda had been harassed online for years. Someone had taken pictures of her naked body when she was only a preteen without her consent, and the family was told there was simply nothing that could be done about how this person was passing these photos on to everyone that Amanda knew. In 2012, the new Democratic Party parliamentarian, Danny Morin, introduced a motion into the House of Commons in Canada directly in response to the outcry that came after Amanda's death. The motion proposed a study to better understand the scope of bullying in Canada, especially now that it was being seen more rampantly online and Amanda's case had garnered huge media attention. The motion also included more funding and support for anti-bullying organizations. It was supposed to lay the groundwork for a national strategy to prevent bullying, especially to such degrees as we saw it in Amanda's case. And that it certainly did. In 2013, Justice Minister Peter McKay from the Conservative Party of Canada introduced Bill C-13 regarding anti-bullying and revenge porn. The bill and its privacy provisions are debated, as it would make it easier for law enforcement to access information and private media from telecom companies and internet service providers when conducting an investigation. Carol Todd spoke out about this, and although she recognizes how the bill finally seeks to address loopholes in law regarding internet harassment, abuse, and revenge porn, like all new legislation, there is still work to be done to fine-tune it. The bill went into effect on March 9th of 2015, and since, Carol Todd remains active in her initiatives against bullying and trying to share her daughter's story, which is not limited to outreach and advocacy. She campaigned endlessly to make it so that social media companies like Facebook would suffer consequences if they do not promptly remove harassment, bullying, and revenge porn from their platforms. However, like all aspects of Amanda's story, Carol Todd has also been the subject of criticism. People blame Carol for even allowing Amanda to use the internet so freely at such a young age, and to such an extent that she was able to flash a stranger on video chat without supervision, without anyone knowing. 
People blame Carol for allowing Amanda to continue using Facebook while still experiencing bullying and harassment, and further allowing Amanda to be reintroduced to social media and the internet after she was forced to stop due to hospitalization. But I think when you're 15 and you're growing up alongside the birth of the age of the internet, it's not easy being the only person in the world without social media, and I can attest to this, as I'm close to what Amanda's age would be today. I grew up alongside the age of the internet too. I know how it feels. People can continue to blame Carol and Amanda, and they probably will, but what many forget is that what started it all is that a crime took place here, and the RCMP knew that right from the moment Amanda's death was reported, even before then. The crime of sex torsion was not perpetrated by Carol or Amanda Todd. Amanda did not take still images of her own naked body, underaged, without consent, and distribute them on the internet, intending to blackmail herself. A man, a strange, sick man, did this to her, and thankfully, Canadian law enforcement wasted no time trying to figure out who did. The RCMP would end up putting 20 full-time investigators on Amanda's case. The Coquitlam and Ridge Meadows RCMP serious crime teams were also fully on board, ready to cooperate. What they were interested in was looking at factors that contributed to Amanda's death. Although it wasn't a homicide, criminal acts did take place in order to push her to that limit. And they had a special interest in Amanda's social media, what people were saying about her, and looking into the validity of rumors that had been circulating about her being blackmailed. The RCMP would go on to remark that their investigation was hindered by false information and rumors, which were, and continue to be, a big theme in this case, as well as apparently scams were popping up online from people claiming to be raising money for Amanda's family. Like many cases I've covered, such as the disappearance and death of Brittany Drexel, false information is a big deal. It can really lead police astray. But interestingly, in this case, the false information the RCMP received about Amanda Todd's circumstances weren't from a random witness, or someone who wanted to leverage their information for less jail time. The information they were given that was false included a suspect who was doxxed by the activist group Anonymous. If you don't know, according to Wikipedia, Anonymous is a decentralized, international, activist and hacktivist collective and movement primarily known for its various cyber attacks against several governments, institutions, agencies, corporations, and even the Church of Scientology. They've done a lot of good work trying to bring to light criminals who are getting away with injustice, corruption, things like that. Anonymous came forward and alleged that a 32-year-old Vancouver resident was the person behind the blackmail and subsequent distribution of Amanda's nude photos. I'm not going to name this suspect as they named him, but Anonymous would even go on to publish not only his name and address on the internet, but all of his personal information. However, after the RCMP decided to follow up on their claims that he was responsible, they found that this person was not, and their information was unfounded, as stated by Sergeant Peter Thyssen. According to an interview with the Vancouver Sun that this man went on later to do, the publication of his identity and address resulted in thousands of emails and death threats over Facebook, and it turned out he was actually only 19. 
But as reported by Kevin Morris for The Daily Dot, Anonymous wasn't actually too far off. This person who was falsely accused was in the know of an online pedophilic sextortion ring, a group of child predators who lured and manipulated young girls into posing nude for them, only to blackmail them later for more images and videos. In January of 2014, Dutch police arrested a man in the Netherlands in connection with a sextortion ring that victimized dozens of teenagers in multiple countries, the UK, Canada, the United States, and more. It all started after an investigation conducted by Facebook yielded some very concerning results. This report was later forwarded on to the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center in the UK. Eventually, it led to the arrest of this man by Dutch police, who was found to have spyware on his computer which he used to spy on young girls and boys through their webcams, as well as many chat logs containing evidence of extortion. This man was found to be in possession of child pornography and about 5,800 bookmarked names in a homemade database of potential victims and their social media accounts. This man would go on to be charged in the Netherlands with indecent assault and possession of child pornography, but not too many more details were released due to the restrictive nature of Dutch privacy laws. All the public knew was that this man lived alone, with no partner or children, and that he could be referred to as Aiden C. Shortly after this ordeal, the public would learn that the RCMP were working on tacking charges of their own in Canada, similar to the ones he was facing in the Netherlands. Aiden C. was looking at Canadian charges of extortion, internet luring, criminal harassment, and possession and distribution of child pornography. The basis of this was that one of his victims was 15-year-old Amanda Todd. According to Kevin Morris for The Daily Dot, Aiden C. was a part of an online group of pedophiles that, quote, operated like a kind of parasitic fandom, stalking teenage girls who frequented video chat sites like Blog TV, Stickam, TinyChat, goading and coercing them to strip, and then taking to obscure web forums to gloat and share their pictures, all taken without consent. Although a shocking revelation, it was almost exactly what Carol Todd, Amanda's mother, feared the most. When it was announced that Aiden C. would be charged in connection with the sextortion of 15-year-old Amanda Todd, she had a feeling that there was at least one other person involved. Unfortunately, however, there were many, many more people involved, not just one. This group of online pedophiles composed digital magazines and episodes of an animated news series documenting the recent victims of sextortion, their recent wins, quote-unquote, so they called it. Whenever they begged, pleaded, and manipulated a young girl into flashing them over webcam, that was a win. And whenever they were able to leverage screen captures of these nude photos for more nudity, that was an even bigger one. This magazine was called The Daily Capper, and it ran online in back-alley pedophilic incel forums, assigning awards to teenage girls who had been photographed naked without their consent, quote-unquote, cam whore of the year. The April 2010 issue of this magazine, courtesy of The Daily Dot, as it's kind of hard to find online and for good reason, was titled, quote, Back-alley Babes, The Prostitutes of Tomorrow. One page had a blackmailer superfan feature with the caption, quote, 
Coke once again proved his love for hardcore child porn by proudly fapping to this show. Looks like they already got customers lined up. End quote. Sextortion of minors was such a big joke to this group that they went as far as to include quizzes and games in their magazines, one of which featured cropped photos of their victims' eyes. Quote, you fap to their bodies, but can you recognize these young girls just by looking into their eyes? To them, it was a game, and nobody was planning on stopping their fun anytime soon. These young victims were nothing but toys to these people unbelievably sick people who victimized hundreds of teenagers working together as a group to achieve so, blackmailing them by leveraging their split-second decision to get naked. They used the girls' fear of having their photos and videos seen by friends and family to prevent them from talking. And it worked. This online group was a pedophile's free-for-all daydream, and to this day, there are many more just like it. Aiden C., was only one player in a massive game. Aiden C. would go on to face 72 counts of sexual assault and extortion in the Netherlands, involving 39 alleged victims, both male and female, living in Canada, Norway, and the United States. He was using a VPN to hide his location, so if Dutch police were unable to locate him, it's possible he would have never faced the five separate charges in Canada directly relating to Amanda Todd, and justice for her may never have been served, but thankfully, it was. In December of 2019, Canadian authorities were preparing to extradite Aiden C., but it was delayed until 2020 as there were issues obtaining travel documents for both him and his attorney. Thankfully, the extradition process would eventually go through, and Aiden C. found himself in Canadian custody that year. He chose to proclaim his innocence continuously, despite the overwhelming amount of evidence that he was a child sex offender, and he would then go on to document each day he spent in custody with the intentions of sharing it with the world once he was quote-unquote free. As many of you may have forgotten the story of Amanda Todd and her legacy is a distant memory, this is the part of the story that you may or may not have seen in the news recently, and this is why I wanted to talk about this case now. Aiden's trial began in Canada on June 6th of 2022, almost 10 years after Amanda Todd took her own life. There was an initial publication ban regarding the proceedings when he was extradited to Canada, as is always the case with crimes involving child porn. However, Justice Martha Devlin, who oversaw the case, so graciously granted the request of Carol Todd in addition to a number of news media outlets, to have that ban lifted and to have Aiden C's full name be revealed. His name is Aiden Coben. Aiden Coben had Skype accounts under names like Kelsey Meows, and he was responsible for that Facebook profile, Austin Collins. Interestingly, a name that uses the same first letters as his own. The same Facebook profile that used Amanda's naked photo as the profile picture. He spent all of his days on the internet being a predator on several different platforms. Different video chat sites and web forums, he had several accounts on each of them and they all served one purpose. But that's all I can tell you about this guy. He's nothing but a slimy loser on the internet. There's nothing interesting about his early life or anything leading up to his arrest. He's nothing but a criminal, a pedophile, and thankfully, 
despite pleading not guilty to all Canadian charges, a unanimous jury thought so too. Aidan Coben was found guilty of all charges relating to Amanda Todd on August 5th of 2022. That was extortion, internet luring, criminal harassment, possession of child porn, and possession of child porn with intent to distribute. Aiden was already sentenced to 11 years in the Netherlands, but regarding his sentencing hearing in Canadian court, having to answer for the things he did to Amanda Todd, amongst many others, that's expected to take place this year on September 20th of 2022. Throughout the investigation, Sergeant Peter Thyssen with the RCMP was repeatedly quoted as saying that bullying was only behind substance abuse as a top concern for law enforcement amongst Canadian youth. We talked about this with Rena Verk in a previous episode, also a teenager who was bullied to death in British Columbia, just in a different way. We talked about how dangerous bullying can really be. But unfortunately, when it came time to do any investigating before Amanda died, the RCMP didn't seem to subscribe to the same sentiment. The Canadian anti-exploration organization Cybertip.ca reported to law enforcement that they received a tip about Amanda Todd and her explicit images being circulated online approximately one year before her death. And let me remind you, police had already come knocking on her door to let her know it was happening. Cybertip.ca stated that in November of 2011, someone had brought this to their attention, that Amanda's underaged, naked body was becoming an internet sensation. But when this information was passed on to law enforcement and child welfare agencies in Canada, according to the CBC's Fifth Estate, the RCMP told the family that nothing could be done. And this was again despite the RCMP being told explicitly that Amanda Todd was being exploited and extorted by an adult male when she was only a teenager. Thankfully now, it doesn't seem like police are going to let these things go very easily anymore, especially after the backlash received when the public found out that Amanda's case wasn't acted on before she died. At least, not acted on very effectively. One of the main contributors to advocacy for change is Amanda's own mother, Carol. Carol Todd established the Amanda Todd Trust with the Royal Bank of Canada, which, through receiving donations, campaigns to support anti-bullying awareness education and programs for young people at risk of being in similar situations like her own daughter was. She also started a nonprofit, which is known as the Amanda Todd Legacy, and given the way her friends and family talk about her and how much love Amanda had to give, I think the word legacy fits just right. The Amanda Todd Legacy was started in 2016, approximately four years after Amanda died, and annually it awards three students $1,000 towards their education. They also work to support and participate in LGBTQ2S plus advocacy through Kids Help Phone, an organization in Canada that takes 24-hour phone calls from kids at risk. Carol Todd is a public speaker now. She is active in making recommendations for policy and legislation drafts like she did for Bill C-13, and her mission, as of now, has been to share her daughter's story. Carol says that Amanda left behind a, quote, larger-than-life message that has sparked the world and made it open its eyes, ears, and its heart. In Carol's words, 
She continues to teach me and the rest of the world so much more about the importance of human kindness and compassion. As of now, in 2022, the sick group of online pedophiles that ran the Daily Capper and extorted hundreds of teenagers seem to have abandoned their disgusting online pet project. However, people like Aiden Coben don't just disappear. The people who ran the Daily Capper and were career sextortionists don't just disappear. People who were this deviated don't just stop offending. They are still out there, likely doing the same shit that they were doing before, just in different ways. Kevin Morris from The Daily Dot says it perfectly in my opinion. He postulates, so where have they gone now? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. I know this was a tough one, given the subject matter, but I think Carol Todd is right in that Amanda's story contains a very important message. I was certainly taken aback to learn this much about Amanda Todd, as frankly, when I was younger and it happened, I had only heard the rumors and what was essentially the surface-level details of her story. But her story has so much meaning, it carries so much weight, and I think it's an important one to listen to. If you or someone you know is experiencing distress or suicidal ideations, you can call 1-833-456-4566 in Canada or text 45645. Using that phone number, you can get help right away. In the United States, as of recently, you can call 988 if you are experiencing a mental health crisis. Additionally, I will link a list of suicide hotlines on my website at cremopediapod.ca, organized by country. And as well, check on your friends, please. You never know what they're going through or what they're dealing with behind closed doors. When Amanda Todd said, I need someone, that really resonated with me. I think I'm going to go text my friends now. So stay safe, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.